Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode five of Two Pints of English, and we're with the wonderful, wonderful Anna. Um, so for the people that don't know you, can you give yourself a little brief introduction? Hello, everyone. My name is Anna. I am the face of English Like a Native, um, which you will find on all the social media platforms pretty much, but mainly I look at YouTube, um, Instagram and TikTok as my, my place to, to teach English. Um, I focus primarily on British English, but, you know, at the end of the day, English is English, so it's helpful for anyone. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be a little bit of a fangirl today, um, <laughs> <laughs> because I remembered, what was it, six, seven years ago when I started teaching English? Um, I needed to try to explain some stuff to my students, so I found your videos, and I was like, wow, she's amazing, this is incredible. Oh. So I was even showing my students when I first started, and yeah, here we are now having a discussion. Oh, we're like, friends now. Yeah, it's superb. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was always blown away by just the quality of your content. It's, I don't know how you do it. Oh, uh, thank you. It's incredible. Well, if you, look, if you look back, it is a progression, like with anything, even with learning a language, you know, you, as long as you're invested in improving and continuous learning, then you're always going to improve. And I'm a bit of a perfectionist, so I'm always looking at ways I can improve. It's not always easy because, you know, it, it does cost money to create these kinds oh. of videos and lessons. So it's not always an easy task, but there's always room for improvement with everything. You never know everything. You're never the best. You mm -hmm. always can improve. I mean, I always say this when I'm obviously, uh, we're slightly different in the way you're more of online sort of, I'm a teacher in person quite a lot. And when I, I'm hiring teachers and they're like, yes, I know the English language, I know everything. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> and I try to explain this to my students all the time. It's like, I'm still learning English. Yeah. I'm a native, I'm a teacher, I've done every qualification you possibly can. There's still new things that I'm finding constantly. Yeah. And it will always be the case because language yeah. is continuously changing. You know, nothing is uh, set in stone. Yeah, especially the English language, it's very, very fluid. It's constantly changing and updating and stuff like that. Um, and the regional accents and dialects. I remember I was living in East London for a little while. And when I was hearing the people speaking on the street, I was like, I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> it's in English, but I have no idea what you are saying at all. Yeah. Very, very yeah. strange to sort of understand that. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of videos from... Uh people in the UK, in different regions, the North, the South, London, um, from back in the 40s and the 20s. It's really interesting to watch people from, you know, nearly 100 years ago talking. And I have a good grasp of the regional accents. But when you hear the same regional accent 100 years ago, it's actually really different. And I was listening to what is my natural um youth accent I was born and bred in the north with a Lancashire accent which I don't really have anymore mm -hmm. but I was listening to some people from 100 years ago with a Lancashire accent and I didn't recognize it really I was like wow it's so different and it's really interesting to to see how over time accents and language can change yeah I mean I've talked a little bit about this before but I swear the accent is becoming more watered down with every generation if I speak to my great-grandparents they sound like the most stereotypical farmers. Like, oh, you're right, me lover. I be keeping yeah. up to <laughs> really thick Somerset accent, and with each generation's kind of getting watered down. And I think this is due to media. 
Yeah. And and also, you know, the fact that we're traveling further in the old days, people just stayed in their village. And like you said, they didn't have, you know, the broad media that we have now access to the Internet. Lots of people didn't have a television even Mm -hmm. and would occasionally listen to the radio if they were lucky enough to have one. But, you know, things were very pure and kept in those little pockets. And so you could go to the next town and hear a very different sound because it was that pocket. But now we all travel, we displace quite a lot. So many people migrate to different countries or different areas of the country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, it, we, you're either one of two things when it comes to accents. You either want to fit in, which tends to be the default. People mm-hmm. tend to want to naturally fit in. It's our, our need to be social creatures. So we automatically start to adjust to sound similar to those around us. Or you are like staunchly proud of where you're from and desperate to hold on to that identity so that you become um, even more stuck in your ways when it comes to your accent and your dialect and you refuse to try and fit in. I have, <laughs> most, uh, people sh- most people shift. I have that horrible tendency, especially if I'm in a pub with some people and I'm sort of talking, I don't know, someone from Ireland, for example, I will casually accidentally start speaking in their accent. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be. I'm not mocking you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of replicate what it is. Yeah. Um, even my Somerset accent is very, very uh, sort of bland now. It's not really, really strong. I've still got aspects of it, sure. But I spent quite a lot of time in uh, Lancashire as well as living in Preston. Um, then I spent a couple more years in London. Um, so it has been like kind of watered down. Obviously, as a teacher, I try not to speak with a thick <laughs> accent because it's mm-hmm. just not helpful. Um, anyway, I'm going to crack open my first beer. Well, yeah, I was desperate to open mine. I'm not drinking beer. <laughs> what are you doing today? <laughs> I'm drinking a tonic water. Ooh. I'm <laughs> pushing the boat out, um, which means to go crazy. Uh, I, um, I love a gin and tonic, but I'm not a big drinker these days. Uh, mm. I, I think it's because I'm quite focused on health and longevity. So, and also I'm a mum of two young kids, and yeah. they don't—they don't give me a break for a hangover. So, <laughs> I, I tend to take it easy with drinking. I'm what you call a lightweight now. Mm. So, uh, one drink and I'm drunk. So, I'm just going to have my tonic water. That's refreshing, at least. Um, yeah, I remember when I went back to see my friends um, just recently when it was uh, Euros. And right. in my head, I was like, yes, I'm still a heavy drinker. I can catch up with my friends. I could not. Like, no. under the table, after four or four pints, I was like, I'm done. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> For the whole day, it's like, no, I can't keep up with it. Um, last night, I'd done a cocktail party. With my school, we're always trying to do different things. I have cooking classes and cocktail parties and cinema clubs and all different stuff. Wow. Um, so, yeah, lovely cocktails and whatnot. See, I'm feeling a little worse for wear today. Oh, bless you. (laughs) We'll get through it. Um, (laughs) And the heat as well is probably not helping you, bless you. Yeah, luckily I had nothing in the morning, so I kind of just relaxed for a little while. Um, Anyway, let's jump into some parts of questions. So how did you fall into teaching English? Because I know you've had quite an eclectic life. You've done so many different things in the past. Yeah, I'll try and keep it short, but I started off as an actress. Mm-hmm. And that's my passion to tell stories and to be lots of different people. I wasn't satisfied with my one life uh-huh. and being one identity. I wanted to be living multiple lives. And um, <laughs> yeah. Um, But yeah, I trained as an actress and a musical theatre actress as well. So an interest in music and singing. 
And during my time studying, I was also teaching drama. I trained as a singing teacher. So I had um, a lot of voice training and I trained as a singing teacher. So I had a, a deep understanding of voice and a deep understanding of pronunciation, accent, mm. elocution. Um, one term when I was teaching some drama students, young children, about five of my students came in with newly developed lisps. And I thought this was really interesting. And having an understanding of how voice is produced and accents, mm. I thought, I, I think I know how to help them and help them correct what they're doing. So I asked if I could run an elocution session for that term, which my head teacher agreed. And so I started teaching elocution just as an experimental thing. It was very successful. So I began um, offering my services to adults because I used to teach one-on-one -on -one with adults. Um, so I said, I teach drama, I teach singing, um, I teach, um, I can help you with any kind of revision for normal exams, but I also teach elocution, tiny at the bottom. I teach elocution because I didn't really feel com comfortable or confident. This was 20 years ago. Um, and then everybody wanted elocution. Nothing else sold, a few singing lessons, but most people wanted elocution. Most of them were not native speakers. Mm -hmm. And so it just naturally came about that they wanted more instruction on the English language. And I thought, that's interesting. Maybe I should start to learn more about my own language so I can teach it. And that's where it started. I began my YouTube channel alongside many other YouTube channels and the English one really took off. So it was more the universe guiding me mm -hmm. into teaching English than anything else. The thing is, I, I'm, I'm not like you. I haven't done all the qualifications mm -hmm. um, just because that's not where my background was. Um, but I think some people are natural born teachers. Some people are very good at, at communicating ideas and getting information across to people. And that's what I'm good at. So whenever there's something I'm unsure of, I have a team of experts who sit behind me who help me to make sure that everything I teach is spot on. Um, but yeah, I just try and communicate ideas and instill confidence in people. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting you sort of mentioned um, you came from like a somewhat of a musical background as well there. Um, and I always find that with students. If they have a musical background, they pick up the language so much quicker. And they always sound so much more fluent, although they make many, many grammar mistakes. Their quality of speech is so much higher. Right. So, yeah, I'd recommend anyone out there, if you're learning a language, possibly pick up an instrument as well. Yeah, Maybe. well, I think that will come down to ear training, mm -hmm. yeah. especially when it comes to pronunciation, because I've got a pronunciation course and that's um, one of my best sellers. My students really, really go for that course. Um, and one of the things we do is really work on training your ear because if you can't hear the difference between what you're doing and your target accent um then you know you're never going to be able to to push and switch because ultimately you can have as many lessons as you can afford to have but you need to be able to naturally correct because no one can be there 100 of the time that you're talking so you need to hear when you're mispronouncing something mm -hmm. and then shift that yourself so if you can't hear the difference then then you're going to really struggle so ear training is kind of one of the first points of call really I mean I think that's so important as well what you just said there is I mean it's something I do with my students my higher level ones is teaching them to be aware of the language and to really sort of allow them to explore it themselves 
mm-hmm. where sort of lower level students you kind of have to hold their hand and guide them when they get to a sort of upper intermediate level i've stopped giving them full support it's like no you need to work this out for yourself yeah. um, look at this text try to understand it what could these words possibly mean and it's teaching them to actually learn themselves yeah it's a useful skill for them that is neglected massively yeah taking responsibility for your own learning yeah, they're not always going to have a teacher sat next to them and to help them and explore it. I mean, just like anyone's native language, when you hear a new word, you don't instantly look in the dictionary. You hear it a couple of times, you put it in context, you go, oh, I guess this is what the word means. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because as a teacher, people say to me, sorry, miss, what does that word mean that you just use? And they go, oh, well, it means this. And then if I'm not 100% sure, I'll always double check. And sometimes, in, in fact, quite often, I'll look it up and go oh it doesn't exactly mean what I've always thought it meant the context is kind of the same Mm -hmm. but in fact it has there's a nuance about this particular word something that's just slightly different about it that I didn't know and this is where the you're always learning yeah part comes Mm -hmm. in because you'll hear something no in general context but actually deeply understanding language takes a long time yeah, I mean, I don't know if you was the same. When I was in school back in the UK when I was a kid, I never studied the English language. We studied literature. Mm-hmm. I never studied grammar at any point in my education. No. And suddenly I was like, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. And I went to get my first qualification. I was like, I don't know anything. <laughs> I know how to speak. I completely understand the language. Yeah. But I don't understand the tenses. I don't understand all the conditionals. And I had to reverse engineer everything I knew. Yeah. Try to explain it. Yeah. Well, there's big, it's necessity. If someone told you that you had to learn, I don't know, let's take a language. Uh, you've never been to Brazil and you're not planning to go to Brazil at any point. Um, and someone says to you, you're going to learn Portuguese. Like, well, when am I going to use it? Why do I need it? If you have no motivation or no goal or no reason, then it's not going to feel you're not going to want to learn it and it's just you know with us at school we already at high school we already had the language we were already speaking English fluently so when if your teacher was like right now we're going to learn grammar well I already do this why do I need to understand how it works you know it's like driving a car as well we drive a car we learn to drive because we want to get from A to B we don't say tell me what's under the bonnet I need to know how the you know the carburetor works talk mm. to me about the engine like you know I, unless I'm, you have a specific interest <laughs> in engines but I mean this is something I think people get hung up on a lot when they're learning obviously grammar is very very important building the structure scaffolding your language but when they become so obsessed with latences and grammar and especially with my stronger students they're always like um are we going to study more grammar today I'm like well you don't need to. You're not making any grammar mistakes. We need to work on yeah. your and the, Yeah, and if you're if you're studying, so if if your study period consists of doing some English reading, some comprehension, you're doing a bit of listening, answering questions, a bit of speaking back and forth, you are already studying grammar. Like yeah. you're just not explicitly laying down exactly the points that you've covered, but natives don't speak in a grammatically correct way either so if if you're learning English to be um, an academic mm-hmm. and you're going to be a teacher trainer or you really need to know it for your work because you're teaching English grammar 
then fine, you need to know grammar. If you're going to pass some exams, then you might need to understand certain grammar points to answer questions on it. But if you're using English for work, just general work, or you just want to be able to communicate, which most students do, then you don't need to really understand the grammar rules. You'll naturally acquire it. And yeah, I think people just need to relax because we always make mistakes. In the North, there's um, accepted grammatical errors. So we say things like, um, Anna, what are you doing right now? So I'd say, I, I should say, I am sitting, using mm. continuous, I'm sitting here talking to Lance. But as a northerner, I'd say, I'm sat here using past, I'm sat here talking to Lance. And that's, a, that's an accepted grammatical error that people in the North use all the time. And it, you said something earlier, you said, um, so use the word done. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember what the context was, but you used the word done. And I thought, oh, that's interesting that you said that. But I think that's very much a, a West Country thing. Possibly. I mean, yeah, you can even find in like some proper grammar books, um, regional grammar as well. People don't realize this. It's not just vocabulary and pronunciation that's different. It's actually grammar. So in the southwest of England, it is acceptable um, to say I be instead of I am. Yeah. So instead of me saying I am a teacher. I'd be a teacher. I'd be a teacher. <laughs> you not know? I'd be a teacher. And people like look at it as I can say, because like, no, you fully understand what I mean. Yeah. One of the greatest examples of this for me, which I try to tell my students, and when he said every native speaks grammatically incorrect, yeah, we do. And the biggest one is me and my friend went to the park. Yeah. That is so much more natural yeah. to every native instead of my friend and I went to the park. <laughs> People this is like, why are you being so formal? Why are you speaking to yeah, me? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this is just reminds me of my grandma, my late grandma, bless her soul. But she, uh, yeah, she used to correct me a lot. Uh -huh. <laughs> so she was a stickler for grammar. Well, my grandma was a language teacher, funnily enough. Uh -huh. Um, it's, it, I, I would say, you know, the phrase, the apple never falls far from the tree. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have an interest in language when I was younger outside of loving language because of things like Shakespeare and loving words and I had a love for the sounds of the English language but I didn't care for grammar or you know I wasn't really learning foreign languages when I was younger but my grandma had a real passion for language and she was teaching German she was teaching Japanese she was she was fluent in many many languages um, and since well so yeah since her passing that's kind of when I really fell into teaching language. Like, it's not funny. Like now I'm a language teacher and, you know, she'd be so proud of me now. Taking over the reins. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I never dreamt of. Um, in school, I was terrible at English. Absolutely terrible. It was one of my weakest subjects. Um, I mean, before I used to be a chef. Um, I used to be a photographer. I've done yeah. a variety of different careers. And it's only when I moved abroad and I was like, I don't understand the language. What can I do? I tried working in the kitchen and no one else spoke English. And the tickets were coming out of what I had to make ah. on a busy Friday night. And I was like, I don't know what this is. Um, so I was slowing down the kitchen. was just completely impractical. So I tried my hand at English and I just completely fell in love with it. I didn't realize I'd like it. It was something I never thought about. But I get so much satisfaction out of it. I could never go and do anything else anymore. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's about the value that you feel that you're bringing to other people. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I always try to tell my teachers and anyone that's studying English, like, uh, so I always tell them, like, you'll never be rich. As a teacher, forget about luxuries and stuff like that. You're never going to be a millionaire. You do it because you love it. <laughs> it's the only way you're going to be a good teacher. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can make a good living, don't get me wrong, but it's you have to have passion for it to be a good teacher, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I, I've, I've taught in many different places in many, many different variety um, of material. So I haven't always taught English. I said before I taught drama, mm. singing. So I've taught very practical lessons, very kind of sensual lessons, very much on your feet and doing things. But I've also taught um, study skills. So going around to GCSE students, which are probably the hardest students to teach, um, A-level students, uh, adults, teaching adults as well, uh, teaching preschool, so all sorts of different ages. Um, and I think when you experience lots of different settings, whether it's nurseries, primaries, private schools, public schools, all these different places, you really get a feel for what a good teacher is. And, and one of not so good teachers and it's always about the passion because I think uh, and there'll be many teachers watching this I'm sure because most of my students many of them are teachers themselves which Thank I always you. find interesting but the best teachers are the ones who are never satisfied that they know everything coming back to what we said earlier you never know everything so you have to be always open to learning always flexible with the language um, but also flexible with your students because no student is the same everyone's different they all have different needs different ways of learning and if you really care about teaching people then you'll kind of you know listen to them and work with them and find ways to land the message to help them get it it's not always practical if you're teaching 30 kids in a classroom you know you have to try and manage the class and get the material taught you know it's not an easy job but if you can find ways to inspire then that makes all the difference probably the reason you hated english at school was because your teacher wasn't inspiring you. Yeah, um, you know? calling from that. And it's interesting that you've tried so many different parts. And something I try to encourage a lot of teachers to do is go out there, try different things. You're going to learn so much about yourself. And I remember when I first started, I was teaching very, very low level students, like a pre-intermediate. And I hated it. I could not stand it because I'd go in there, I'd use phrasal verbs, I'd try to speak fluently, and they just looked at me wide-eyed, like, I don't understand anything. Yeah. And for the first month, it was just a fight. And then I realized, like, okay, I need to change how I'm looking at stuff, how I speak. And it really helped to evaluate language myself and how to teach. And hmm. even teaching between adults and kids. Before, I primarily taught adults, but now every now and then I teach kids. And I remember my very first um, kids group. There was a group of six-year-olds and they had zero English. And I didn't know where to start. <laughs> and kept trying to get them to repeat the sounds. And for the first couple of weeks, I was like finding it really demotivating, like nothing's happening. It's very, very strange. And then suddenly they just started speaking in English. I was like, oh my God, this is like incredible. Um, and something they done always like won over my heart. Um, I say, my name is Lance, and wrote it on the board. And they're like, Mr. Lancey, can you? <laughs> oh, um, bless. I'm not going to correct you. That just sounds too cute. <laughs> um, but it's strange. You have to sort of completely change your mindset a little bit. I remember I was going to read a story to them. So I sat down on the floor. 
And then suddenly they sat all on my laps, on my legs, hanging on my shoulders. I was like, adults don't do this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they come and play with your hair. And, yeah. and it's like, um, <laughs> I, I'm, I might get in trouble here, guys, especially in the UK. Yeah, you know, it's very, very Child very... protection laws, like, guys, don't touch me. <laughs> yeah. But very was, sweet. Because like, I'm obsessed with my beard and just kept stroking my beard. I was like, like, please stop. That's <laughs> really strange. Um, yeah, it's very, very rewarding in every way. Um, what's one of the biggest mistakes you come across with someone trying to learn the language? What's one of the big keys? Um, so I think I think the biggest mistake is attitude, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, you know, different students will have different weaknesses in their actual language learning, but the biggest problem with most learners, which is consistent, is their attitude to learning and their attitude to themselves. So many people give themselves such a hard time because they're at a lower level. And I'll Mm. find students who are a decent intermediate level and they are like, I'm rubbish at English. My English is terrible. And the problem with having such a negative view of yourself and your skills is that it really has a negative impact on what you do to learn. So most students who feel this way won't practice enough. They won't speak Mm. up and, and speak enough because you have to be speaking from day one, really. But they won't. They'll wait until they're like an upper intermediate level before they start putting in some consistent conversation practice. And then they suddenly feel rubbish about themselves because they struggle to speak because they haven't practiced enough. Um, And so I think if a student can correct anything, it would be their mindset. And remember that even if they are at a very basic level, even if they've been studying for years and still struggle to speak, they are still way ahead of most native speakers of English who Mm -hmm. don't know more than their own language. English people are pretty ignorant when it comes to second languages because we don't have to learn another language. And and it's true, like, I've had it, I always try and speak the lingo when I go abroad, and most of the natives will speak English back to me. So I'll speak Spanish to someone, and they'll speak English back to me, and they're like, how did you know I was English? And speak Spanish to me, how can I practice? Um, And that's, you know, English is spoken in many places by many people to some degree, and so English people don't have to learn a second language. So if Mm -hmm. you are not English and you have any level of English and you're talking to us you shouldn't feel ashamed you should feel proud of the fact that you've you know you've got to that point of being able to even have a basic conversation um and also remembering that children excel so fast with language learning uh because they aren't afraid to make mistakes my son is three years old and he always says he knows the phrase, please may I have. Mm-hmm. So please may I have something. But he also knows that he should ask to get down from the table. So he says, please may I have, get down from the table. <laughs> and joins the two together. And we tell him time again, no, Jacob, it's please may I get down from the table. You don't have to say have. And he says it again and again and again and again. He keeps repeating the mistake and he's not embarrassed, which he shouldn't be. We keep correcting him and eventually it will click and he'll just do it right. But it's that mistake making, that process has to happen for him to learn. It's the same for all learners. You have to make mistakes. You have to be subpar to be able to build up your skills. And so being you know, negative 
and holding back is only going to slow your progress. So change your mindset, be more positive and just embrace making mistakes. I want to go back to something you're saying. You're saying a lot of your students are teachers and the same with me. And I think they suffer the worst from this. Oh, yeah, anxiety. They fully yeah. understand it. But because they are teachers themselves, they're terrified of making a mistake. They're like, mm-hmm. no, I'm a teacher. I must know everything. Yeah. And I make mistakes. And of course, you make mistakes. I do it all the time. And yeah. um, the thing is, people, when they sort of try learning a language, you watch TV or listen to the radio, and it's perfectly cut. So every single thing is spoke perfectly. But if you speak to native people on the street, they will start making a sentence and they go, oh, wait, I didn't want to talk about that. Let's rearrange the sentence and Mm -hmm. mix it again. And yeah, this is a lot more natural in some ways. Listening to perfect English over and over again can be kind of damaging because you're expecting that perfection. Yeah, but I think I know it because I've had it many a time. It happens less often now because of how I prepare Mm-hmm. And because of years of experience, but I've made so many mistakes in in my especially my earlier videos. Only small little things here and there, but someone will point out that's wrong, and you go, "Oh, yeah, it is." Sometimes it'll be a typo or something like that, but they'll say that's not correct. You go, and you look it up, and you go, "Oh, no, you you are absolutely right." Mm-hmm. The way to deal with it is to accept that you're not. So like superhuman, you you can't know everything and you are learning and that it's okay, even as a teacher, it's okay to be wrong. What's important is how you manage that. I made a mistake. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm human. <laughs> I made a mistake and I'm going to share that with you. So you all know I've learned from my mistake. You now can all learn from my mistake. And I'm not embarrassed about that. And if you handle it that way, then if people don't respect you, fine, they can go and find someone else to follow. But trying to hide it or pretend or cover it up, there's no point. Like just, just accept it. And actually, most people won't even notice. But I think just own it and, and, and be honest and open with people. If they're horrible about it, then you don't want them as students anyway. Yeah. And that's a really big tip to teachers out there as well. You don't know everything. No one does. <clears throat> and as a teacher, you have to suddenly have all of this vocabulary and grammar at the front of your brain. When people say, what does this word mean? You need to think of it within a second to yeah. explain what the word means. Well, sometimes you're hungover. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you have baby brain or something. You know, you can't always be on point all the time. It's okay to be, to be I mean, a bit off. Yeah, and the worst thing I ever say, and I always say this to all my new teachers that join my school, it's like, you won't know everything. Sometimes you'll get a question and you don't know how to answer it. It's okay to say, I don't actually know. I'm going to look it up. Next class, I'll come back to you and give you a proper answer. Absolutely. Don't just make up some kind of fake answer because you're hurting yourself and the students. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I remember before I was sort of sat in a reception. I had a new American teacher. And this is a very classical native mistake. And he put on the board, what of? And I oh, right. Okay. Isn't it have? And he's like, no, 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 that's British English. Uh, would of is American English. And I was like, right, okay. So I went until he finished the class, like, went and spoke to him. I was like, look, you made a mistake. Just accept the mistake. Say, oh, I didn't actually realize that. And you could have gone into a part of saying, yeah, the reason natives make this mistake with connected speech, when we speak it, it sounds like would of. You could have turned that into a learning experience instead, mm-hmm. just confuse them. I made him go into the class next time and say, like, okay, I made a mistake. You guys were right. We fixed it in the end. But 
trying to just hide your mistakes and making some kind of awful excuse, it's so damaging. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, people should own their mistakes. If they're the teacher, the students, yeah, this is how we learn. It's the best way. Um, I always to, it sounds very cliche, but you always learn more from your mistakes than getting everything correct. Yeah, and I think I think it's a level of maturity as well in in your profession because it's the same as an actress, you know, or you know, doing a, a musical show. You're terrified of hitting the wrong note, coming in at the wrong time, saying the wrong lines, forgetting your cues, whatever it is. Um, but it's how you handle it. If you if you make a mistake and get so stressed about it, <laughs> or try and cover it up in a terrible way, like it just the audience will know. But if you just accept that mistakes happen and deal with it in the right way, then often people don't notice or they don't care. You know, as as an actor, if you make a mistake, depending on the show, if it's a mm-hmm. serious Shakespeare, then then the audience won't have it. But if it's like, you know, a fun, lighthearted thing, if you kind of look at the audience and be like, oops, you know, then they'll laugh along with you and they'll be like, oh, you just made a silly mistake, you know. And I think it's all about your attitude. There's no point in getting stressed about things. Nobody's perfect. I mean, it kind of what you said, like making a mistake and you kind of make it natural. It's like, yeah, we are real people. We are not robots. So no, mm-hmm. we have personality, yeah. we have a life. And, and, and you won't always be able to, and this is for everybody, specifically mm-hmm. teachers, but it works for everyone. You will never please everybody and you shouldn't try to please everybody. If you're working like we do online, you know, you're going to experience people nitpicking trying to find issues trying to find fault and that just comes with the territory and you just think is that the kind of student that I care about the kind of person who's just looking to be negative all the time well no actually I care about the people who are motivated and and kind and interactive you know not just negative Nancy's yeah I mean especially in group classes for me one of the main things I've always learned is you need to build just that kind of safe space where everyone gets along and it's not just I'm coming to class to learn English. I'm coming to class to see my friends, to the people I speak to and enjoy. Everyone's so busy at the moment. They're working nonstop. When they come to English, it should be a social experience to meet new people yeah. and enjoy it. And if there is that negative person that's pulling everyone down or criticizing others, mm-hmm. I will remove them from the class. I won't accept it. I try to build this like nice harmony. And I achieve yeah. this quite often. I had students who started as a group from pre-intermediate and they continued all the way to advance with me. They studied with me for three years. And it's the same group. Yeah. And they became best friends. They went on holiday together. And this is when I realized, like, I can actually do this. I'm very, very proud of this. Like, not only have they learned English in such a nice way, but they've really made friends and connections. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that was, life-changing experience, right? Yeah, it was, like, so rewarding. Like, I've done that. I made this group of friends. I done that. There you go. That's what it was you said before. <laughs> I done that. <laughs> yes, yes. Wonderful. I love that. Um, <laughs> so obviously you teach people from all around the world, where myself mm. only very, very restricted, like one group. Every now and then I have some foreign students. Which students do you find find learning English the hardest? Oh, that's a difficult question. Um, I don't, I don't know. I think because every, I wouldn't say there's a group of students particularly, as in from a specific country, that find it mm-hmm. the hardest. Although I guess there are similarities for European, um, mm-hmm. or even 
so any kind of the romance languages any spanish speakers um i'd say portuguese um french there are a lot a lot of similarities italian there's a lot of similarities so that's not that hard but i guess if they're coming where the characters are completely different so if they're coming from um they're chinese speaking or thai speaking and the characters are you know it's a whole a whole new language that they have to learn they have to learn the alphabet completely different sounds um then maybe it's slightly harder for them but i think it's for students who haven't had a a base level education in English. I think many schools, foreign schools, will teach English as part of their basic curriculum. Mm. So most people around the world have had some exposure to English on a very basic level from being young. If they haven't, then maybe that's probably where people struggle the most. Because, um, yeah, I found it so interesting when I first started teaching um, students not just from the east of Europe, but from Asia and South America. I was like so comfortable in my teaching. I was like, oh no, every mistake that will come up. And then suddenly it was like different mistakes. I was like, oh my God, this is, what do I do? And <laughs> it was so interesting for me. It was like, oh, I brought the class back to life. I'm learning again. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I find like people from Eastern Europe, they speak very, very flat, monotone. They have those kind of intonation or word stress, anything like this. Um, sort of further into Asia it's a pronunciation they really really struggle with and yeah as you said it's we haven't got the same sounds yeah but they really kind of struggle with that yeah Uh, but yeah it's something I find fascinating just like how each language works and combines but yeah yeah I mean there's definitely similarities I I like to so I have a I have a service which is a pronunciation assessment that I do and I have this little challenge for myself. Basically, a student, when they when they purchase an assessment, they have uh, three tasks that they have to complete and send me three recordings. And then I'll sit down and listen to the recordings and spend time with them, um, filling out a, a complete feedback assessment form um, so that they have uh, feedback on every sound in English. So they understand exactly where they need to focus to achieve uh, my accent, basically, and uh, with some general um, advice on their overall voice production as well. And I have a challenge with myself as I'm listening to the recordings. The last one is a free talk section where often they might drop where they're from. But I, mm. I save that to the end. I listen to that at the end. And while I'm doing their assessment, I'll be like, I think I know where this person's from. <laughs> and often I'm right. And which it, it because they'll be the same pronunciation issues that come up from different areas of the world Um, and so yeah there are definitely similarities but then again it really depends on a person's background because Mm. you could have someone who's got parents from different countries or they might have been brought up in a bilingual environment they might have moved country for work or whatever and that's had an impact on their pronunciation so sometimes it can be hard to tell but often often I get it right yeah, going back to like singers, they are so good at sort of blending in um, with the speech. It's just a huge grammar mistake, but it's like, wow, you actually sound extremely native because they have this rise of intonation, the word stress, they know how to use their voice in many different ways. Um, it's always very impressive. It's like, yeah, that just completely hides where you're from. Do you know that's- what's interesting? Talking about singing, and it's slightly off topic, but um, I, when I was training as a singer, it became apparent that most of us sing with an American accent. I didn't know that. It's well, I think you become aware when you hear singers who 
specifically sing with a regional accent so you know the i would walk 500 miles <laughs> and they also sing with a scottish accent and you're like oh wow that's really you know that's a really scottish uh, singer really slapping the face like so strong yeah yeah and there's there's maybe the streets probably although they kind of speak sing more than anything um but there's there are some that really push their regional accents when they sing but often most of us naturally go into an american accent when we sing and it's bizarre. I only sing when I've had far too much alcohol and I'm dragged me to a karaoke bar. Um, I have a massive aversion to singing and dancing. I've never been. Oh, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm terrible. I remember when I was in a school play. Right. It had so much faith in me. I was a tree. I was just backwards. Oh. I just had to stand there. It's like. Bless you. Do you not have any um, kind of like local, like little ditties that you that you know? No, not really. No. We, not little folk songs yeah i mean it's strange because my great-grandfather he was a wonderful musician he has played the organ and accordion he was like very traditional right. like southwestern um and i love live music i was always surrounded by people that were playing live music and something i always loved but for some reason it was only until a couple years ago i was like right i need to start actually getting into music so i bought a little keyboard started slowly learn um but yeah something i always wanted to do but I don't know. I just couldn't do it. You need to be confident enough to make mistakes, Lance. Oh, I do, but my <laughs> is like, I am just like an awful robot. <laughs> but you can use music is a really great way to learn learn English as well. So you can start to use music in the classroom. So that should be your challenge: is you should try and find a way, even if it's very basic, try and find a way to bring some of your piano playing into the classroom. How can you incorporate it so it kind of pushes you? To, to really work on your piano skills while also aiding aiding your, your student's journey. If I was singing in class, I think my classes would be very empty very quickly. <laughs> Surely it can't be that. Well, I have a singing teaching channel if you're interested. I might have to check that out as well and like, get some extra tips. Um, <laughs> uh, we have a few questions that are sent in. Um, the first one, what is the first thing that gives away if someone isn't a native, in your opinion? I mean, I'll go first on this one. Yeah. And uh, it's just a pet hate I have. Um, I'm always fighting this. And it's a high RP accent. Oh, overdoing it. Yeah. Like, oh, hello. They really overstretched all of their vowel sounds and ridiculously, ridiculously overformal. And I cannot stress how important it is for them to focus on learning the language before they try learning an accent. And they focus so much, put so much time and effort into speaking like the Queen. Yeah. Well, they have no language to back it up. It's just... Yeah, so well, we might have to fall out a bit here, Lance, because <laughs> I slightly disagree with you, which is good. It's good to have healthy uh, discussion about things. Um, so, yes, there are some students that I come across in accent assessments that I do, accent assessment, pronunciation assessments, um, where they will... Oh, and these tend to be Arabic speakers, actually, more often will maybe um, have a heightened vowel sound. So like an O, like you said, O. And I have to tell them, oh, hang on, I'm my, something just flashed up on screen. Uh, and I have to tell them to soften that, it's specifically that O vowel. I have to tell them to soften it because it's usually just that one vowel that sticks out like a sore thumb yeah. with everything else they're saying. So they're just talking like this really normally and they say, oh, hello. Oh, that's a bit much. Pull it back. Oh, hello. Just, you know, just normal. Um, 
but I think it's, and I think this is one of your questions that you wanted to bring up, but I think actually pronunciation should be focused on from alongside learning. So from the beginning, I think mm -hmm. it's easier to, if you're learning the language from scratch, it's much easier to learn the correct pronunciation for the target that you're going for. I say correct pronunciation and some people go, what do you mean? There's no correct correct in terms of what you want to learn so if you're yeah. learning australian english american english indian english british english whichever your target variation variety of english then choose the accent you're going for and 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 nail that because if you have a mixed accent then people start listening more to how you sound and not what you're actually saying people can get confused and it, it can make communication difficult so i think you need to choose your target and as you're learning the new words, learn the correct pronunciation at the same time. I know how difficult it is to break a habit, something you've been doing for years. It's really hard with speech. And, um, you know, some people are never able to break certain habits, certain vowels or consonant sounds that are so deeply ingrained in their habitual speech that if they only learned the right thing from the very start, it would be much simpler. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with what you said, especially like trying to fix something that's we in the English teaching world, it's called fossilization. Mm -hmm. And it's when they've been taught again and again this mistake and no one's ever fixed it. And for me, it's like when people say, I should to go to the park, it's like, should, no, no need to say to. And every time I have a class, I'm like, stop saying to, stop saying it, stop saying it, stop saying yeah. it. Yeah. And it takes me so long to get them to speak correctly. It's yeah. a nightmare. But yeah. Um, I mean, I completely agree with what you're saying. It's like, yeah, okay, if I want to move to England, I should start understanding the English pronunciation. And like you said, that's not just one, there's many, but you can get like an average, like basic. It's when people start focusing precisely on one accent. They go very, very deep and pinpoint it. And it's very, very strange to do this because you're going to spend so much time and effort if you wanted to speak, I don't know, the Manchester accent. It's a very specific yeah. accent, which is you'd be better off spending your time trying to improve your English and improve your fluency. I mean, pronunciation mm -hmm. isn't accent. No. Pronunciation is your tempo, your word stress, your intonation. Um, there's so much more than just accent. And yeah, getting a good accent is fantastic. Um, yeah. yeah, you need to try to understand that you need something broad to begin with. Yeah. Um, and I, I also, you remind me that many students ask me, which accent should I learn? Should, I quite like the Liverpool accent. Should I learn that one or the Newcastle accent? Should I learn that one? And my answer is always, unless unless you're like going to study and work and live in a specific area, I wouldn't I wouldn't try to learn a regional accent unless you're an actor and mm. you want to be able to switch or you need to be able to do it for work. I wouldn't because you know regional accents can be hard for people to understand, especially if it's not n native. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's better to have a non-regional accent, which is the RP accent, which is just standard. Also, then you also have the cues in the dictionary. So if you don't know how to pronounce the word, you go to a Cambridge or Oxford dictionary. It gives you the standard um, RP accent um, pronunciation. Um, whereas if you learn a regional accent, you're not going to have that support. And, you know, like you said earlier, sometimes when I'm with people with different accents, I fall into mimicking that accent and people think you're making fun of them so people you know with really strong regional accents can be very protective over their identity and if they think 
that you're mocking them by copying their accent, then they, they, you know, in certain situations, they might get a little bit annoyed with you. And so I would think it's just best, better to learn the standard. Then you've got all the resources to support you and you're not going to have any kerfuffles, or <laughs> any, any issues with anybody. Yeah. I mean, you're completely correct. I mean, it's so, so you're going to limit yourself so much if you speak, okay, I'm going to speak with a Birmingham accent. The majority of the UK will not understand you. Americans can't. Mm. <laughs> you have yeah. limited your understanding. Well, whole... it might not be that they wouldn't understand, but they would. They would. They yeah. would be a little confused for certain because it, it. I think it's very hard to fully pass as a native of those regions. Mm-hmm. Even as an actress, if I studied really, really hard, I think it would be hard for me to go to those regions and really pass as a native of that region. So, if you're non if you're not English and you're learning a regional accent, you're really not going to pass for that accent. And so people are just going to be, what did you, what, what are you saying? Why are you speaking like that? People are going to be really confused and you don't mm-hmm. want that kind of reaction to, you know, it doesn't help your confidence. I think just, you know, yeah. Um, I mean, I remember I fell in love with your um, series you done where you was doing all the regional accents um, and I found this fascinating. I learned a lot myself. Um, which ones did you find the hardest to understand? So it's not complete. There are still accents. Um, there's a lot of accents that need covering in this series. They're just so hard to make. Mm-hmm. Those videos, finding the right person and finding the time, they take weeks and weeks to put together. Um, the hardest accents, I believe, are the ones I haven't yet covered. Um, the Welsh accent. So mm-hmm. not an English accent, not an English variation, but um, the Welsh accent is can be really tricky it's very musical the, yeah, the very you know, tone I yeah. love Welsh accents gorgeous and uh, it changes quite a lot actually from like a, a South Walian accent up to a North Wales um it's very very different and there is you know certain like stops that they put in in their in their accent and it's beautiful mm-hmm. but I think I struggle to to emulate that accent myself I think it's it's really hard to to fully convincingly do a Welsh accent um I did actually film the Welsh accent video but the girl I used she was lovely but she had a really bad cold on the day that we filmed oh, and I I just felt I just felt that the footage wasn't quite on point so so I, I I still have it and I still consider should I just put it together but I, I I'm a perfectionist so I'd rather let a day's work go to waste and redo it in the future um yeah I mean I found it fascinating because my hometown it's a place where nobody leaves it's just a black hole right. <laughs> so when I first moved uh, to Preston I was like wow everybody's speaking so differently and this is so strange and so weird but I loved it and yeah I mean I loved learning all these different accents and sort of picking them up I cannot emulate them in the slightest I don't even so which try. accent do you find the hardest out of the regional English accents um Scouse so Liverpool yeah or Birmingham so the Brummies yeah, I used to work with a Birmingham woman, and she had the thick, really, really thick Birmingham accent. Yeah. Um, and this was back in the days before we had computerized screens in the restaurant, and she would come over and tell me what she wanted, and I was like, I don't know what you're saying, <laughs> Rita. I love you. You're a lovely woman, but I do not know what you just said to me. And then she would try to write it down, and it was just like hieroglyphics. Her handwriting was just disastrous. And I worked with this woman for like two years. Oh, no. Even at the end, I got like the gist of what she was saying. 
But there are so many parts of the sentences where I was like, I have no idea what you just said. Yeah, and it, it makes you just kind of back off and not want to interact because you're like, oh, will I understand it? Yeah, I, I think with any accent, if it's strong, I think mm. a, the strongest version of any accent can be hard to understand. Mm-hmm. So like a really strong, um, um, a really strong like Geordie accent, strong S- Scottish accents. There are multiple, but any any Scottish accent that's strong can be can be tricky. Aberdeen, Glaswegian, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, it's always something fascinating. Um, another question we have is: Are idioms important? Mm, I think so, definitely. One hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, we use them all the time, and uh, I've heard some teachers say, "No, no, they're not important," but but we do we do use them. I I use them. I I have arguments with people in the comments of videos and posts that I put out on a daily basis. I need to kind of stop. <laughs> but someone will always say, "Oh, you know." silly things like there's no such thing as british english or idioms aren't important what what's the point in teaching an idiom mm-hmm. well if it's language that's used then someone who hasn't learned it is going to have no idea what you're saying so of course it's important you know? yeah my language is littered with phrasal verbs and idioms it was the hardest thing for me becoming a teacher is to stop using them for lower yeah. To recognise, we don't yeah. even, before teaching, you're not even aware of the idiomatic language that you're using. Yeah. So you have, and, and phrasal verbs as well. You have to kind of go, wow, there are so many phrasal verbs in that speech I just gave and I didn't even realise it. And sometimes get like a student like, oh, I come across a new phrasal verb. What does this mean? And I give them 20 different definitions. Yeah, group. yeah. Like, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, to English. Um, another question: Have you ever thought about opening a school? Well, I, I well, I a physical school. Mm-hmm. I, right. I'm, okay. I was, was going to say I have an online school. I have an online school. Which, if anyone's interested, you don't mind me saying, Lance. No, no, of course, go ahead. Englishlikeanative.co.uk. Um, yeah, we have we have um, you know all the kind of typical courses you'd expect: uh, business English, pronunciation, um, the, the levels from B1 through to C2. And we have a community similar to what I think you offer as well um, with conversation practice. And we have a phrasal verbs booster booster challenge as well. So there's lots of things to choose from. In terms of a physical school, I have thought about doing events, like face-to-face events, which would just be like one-offs or maybe like a week, a week's English vacation kind of thing. Um, but the planning that would have to go into it, I, and I just think, there is a nervousness um I'm being very honest now I do have a nervousness as a woman and maybe it's not just women that suffer this you can tell me as a woman online I have to deal with a lot of inappropriate behavior um and I I make I make it a top priority to protect things like where I live um where my children go to to school to nursery Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm very very careful over our, our our data so that people can't find us because I've had people threatening to do terrible things and to come to my house and and it's really scary so the idea of having a face-to-face location where people know I am and I it just there are lots of wonderful students who would be you know hugely respectful but I'm sure there would always be the odd one on occasion that would be difficult to deal with and it, it just scares me especially having young children I'm very protective so right now it definitely isn't on the cards mm-hmm. 
I mean, everything talk- online, safe distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I completely understand. I mean, we talked a little bit about this when we're setting this up. I was saying like, okay, Zoom, we're not going to have to deal with these questions. And anybody out there, please. I mean, males do get it as well. I do get some inappropriate comments or stuff like this, but I see um, like women on Instagram or TikTok and the amount of questions, completely inappropriate. I don't know how you deal with it. I mean, even with the last one, the amount of time men that says, kept asking the woman, are you married? Are you single? Do you want to get married to me? It's like, this is completely yeah. inappropriate. Please, please yeah. don't do Yeah, it, it, it is inappropriate. But I always try and deal with every, every inappropriate thing, depending on how, you know, gross it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always try and treat everything with kindness because sometimes people just don't understand and we do have different cultures um and often when people are asking about your marital status it's because their culture is so different to ours and Mm. you know I'm technically living in sin I am living with my partner we're not married and we have children so we're you know massive sinners the the reality in the UK is that people don't have to get married the religion isn't a big deal over here at all and Getting married is, unless you're doing a very basic wedding, getting married is a really expensive event. Mm. My partner and I would have been married years ago if it wasn't the fact that, you know, an average wedding costs something like £35,000. Who has that kind of money? I don't make that amount of money in a, in a year, a couple of years even. You know, it's it's an insane amount of money to spend on one event when two people already love each other, are committed to life, a life together we have children together we've got a business together mm-hmm. we're not going anywhere we're together we don't you know go off with other people we're as good as married but we're not going to spend that money waste the money we don't have on on a, a formality that's so a really important part of british culture there is there's two types of people who get married and it's first of all the ones that want that princess marriage they want to yeah. show off. and it's a day to show off look at me and not everyone. I don't want to tire everybody with the same brush. They normally end in divorce in about six months. Yeah, I think it's something like two in three marriages end up in divorce. It's, it's a terrible statistic. And much like you and your partner, um, same as my family as well, um, my parents, they were together for about 40 years. They were never married. And they ended up getting married a couple of years ago purely for legal reasons, just for paperwork. It was they didn't need to have this big kind of uh, event to show off their love and stuff like this. And yeah, they're still together. And talking about religion, it's not a big part of the UK. Lots of people keep asking, like, oh, so are you religious? It's like, I don't even think about it. No, no. I'm agnostic or it doesn't even play a part in my life where I've even thought about what I am. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know that, you know, that might seem awful to some to some people in other cultures but having no religion doesn't mean that you live a terrible sin-filled life you know um the people I interact with all my friends and family are not religious but we're all very respectful we're Mm. all you know we care about our community we care about our environment we care about our local neighborhood community you know we're very neighborly we have the Christian values, which have been kind of passed up from generations because my grandma or my great grandparents, they were religious. You know, Christianity, I think, is still embedded in, in a lot of the values in, in the majority of the UK. Or, well, there's lots of religions, lots of different cultures actually in the UK. But 
in my circles, Christian Christianity, the values of that are still very much alive. It's just we're not, you know, we're not putting a big stamp on it and being bound uh, by by this this tag of I'm a Christian and I disagree with anything else. It's that I'm a human being and I care about people and the world in which I live and I'm going to try and live the best life I can and be kind to everyone, um, much like I think it should be in every other religion. This was something I fell in love with in London, is acceptance of we did not care who you are. You could be Muslim, Jewish, black, white. You could come from any different country, believe in whatever you wanted. You could be homosexual. You could be, no one cared who you were. It's like you're a nice person, or a bit rude. You're an asshole. Yeah. And that's the two different groups of people. It doesn't yeah. matter. Of and I love that acceptance. And it's something I do miss a little bit about London. Although I'm not a fanatic of London in the slightest, just that acceptance in the community of just say, yeah, okay, we're going to hang around together. You, okay, you don't eat pork when we go to a restaurant. Fine, we don't care. Yeah. Come along with us anyway. And I loved that kind of community. Um, yeah, absolutely. Just judging people by their, you know, their actions and for who they are, not their background, their, mm-hmm. you know, their their cover. Don't judge a book by its cover, basically, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How did we get onto that? <laughs> I don't know. It sort of went from like, stop asking horrible questions. Oh, like, yes, it was the, will you ever open a school, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean... I, I do feel for you um, for the amount of stupid comments you get. And I really, I wish I could raise some awareness of like getting people to stop doing this. It's completely inappropriate. We're here to teach English. And no, even I, if it's not haggling you or, but yeah, it's. I, I think there's a long way to go for, for the role of women in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, someone got really angry with me the other day because they're like, are you a feminist? I was like, well, what does that mean? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a feminist. Do I believe in equal rights for men and women? Of course I do. But I wouldn't say I was a feminist. I don't hate men or I don't think feminists do hate men. I don't know. I had to look up what feminism was. But they were like, I'm going to unsubscribe from you because you said something about pro-women. Like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think women, women in, you know, in certain um, for certain people, women still are not, they're not the workers. Women yeah. are the, the baby makers. Women are the homekeepers. And so t- to have an ind- a financially independent woman with her own business, you know, out publicly, it's like, well, hang on a minute. Where's your husband? And, you know, wh- how he, does your husband let you do this? <laughs> no, I'm allowed to make my own decisions. Um, so it's just you know there's certain parts of the world where women have no rights at all and and it's I think it's awful not even not even the right to go to school and to have an education it's like keeping people in the dark I I, I just yeah I don't like to go into politics or oh, yeah, yeah. different cultures have different things that they you know people live with it and that's their choice to take it or go against it but um well, I, going I, back to London it's like Everyone's accepted. Everyone should be treated exactly the same, regardless of what you believe in, how you are. If you're a nice person, you're a nice person. Everybody should have the same opportunities. Yeah, you can't help where you're born or what gender you're born. You you Mm -hmm. just be given a chance to live your life like anybody else would live their life and make choices and, you know. I mean, this was one of the big culture shocks when I first moved to, like, east of Europe and seeing 
it was almost like 10, 15 years backwards from where England was. It is still kind of, it's getting better. Um, but I can still see there's still remnants of the woman should be the baby maker, the house cleaner, the maid, the nanny. And it's like, well, no, you're so much more. You've gone to university. Go and do your life. I mean, if they're happy doing it, of course. Yeah. He has her own preferences. Yeah. It's, it's, not a, it's not a black and white. Mm-hmm. topic you know there's a guy I follow called Jordan Peterson who has some really interesting he's a, a, a psychologist and uh, he has some really interesting lectures about human behavior and you know the way we do things in the west this kind of very liberal view of of things it's not just it's just because it's what we're used to doesn't mean it's the very best yeah. because actually with liberation with liberty comes a chaos to a certain extent and so there is merit in in the structures and the rigidity of religion or um you know whatever it is control um but it's about balance and it's about people's happiness and an opportunity for people to grow and thrive and communities to grow and thrive and people not to feel repressed um it's not it's not easy and i don't think any any way of living any culture is absolutely perfect i don't think anyone's got it right but it's just finding the right balance that works for everybody i love the fact you're saying um, i think a lot of people have got this idea like england and america are just havens of paradise and everything's perfect it's not no absolutely not it's a mess (laughs) um and even like sometimes where i've sort of traveled around i've sort of seen the part of culture i'm like wow this is amazing why don't we do this and something um i mean here when your parents get older, you bring them into your house, you look after them. That's something unseen of. And it's very rare in the UK. Normally it's yeah. like, you stick them in a home. Yeah, go in the retirement home. Yeah. And I realise like how barbaric it is. And, yeah. But a lot of that, again, it's not a black and white, it's not yeah. a black and white thing. And a lot of that is because the housing in the UK is expensive and the houses are small yeah. and it's not easy to adapt a small home to facilitate um, you know, my my grandma, uh, unfortunately. My other grandma, not my my dead grandma. Um, my uh, my uncle, which is my grandma's son. Um, two of my uncles have MS, but one of them very severely. So he's in bed. He can't move. He's paralyzed. He can barely talk. He can't feed himself. So he's in a motorized wheelchair. He needs winching out of the bed and help help with every aspect of living. And so my grandma has converted. She has a large house. She lives in the north. She's had this house all her life and she has uh, a large living area and she's been able to convert that over time. She basically gave up her living room. So he, his bedroom is now in the living room and they converted um, one of the downstairs areas to be a Mm -hmm. bathroom for him, like a disabled bathroom access. And um, she's lucky that she had that space and, you know, my grandfather died. So she has, it's just her in that big house. So she had the space to take him on and look after him in the home. Most people don't have that. They don't have the money. They don't have the space. Um, and it's it's expensive to have carers coming to your house to provide the care to these people. So it's just not accessible. Having a home, a people in a home is not ideal, but sometimes it's the only solution. You know? In adding to what you said as well, and it's a different mentality of why you have children. Um, most people wouldn't want your children to give up their lives to look after you. Yeah. You, you have a child because you want them to have 
every happy go and do things yeah. where I've seen some cultures they have children because they want someone to look after them when they get old it's just, and they have oh. many children in order to share that burden whereas in the yeah. UK we on average have just a couple of children now less and less every year it's, people are having less especially um working families yeah are having less and less children because they just can't afford to have kids and this is one of the misconceptions misconceptions about about the UK is that everyone's rich that we're living in a rich country and everyone's rich well actually we have quite high poverty rates and it's being even more impacted at the moment with inflation that people just every night on the news and and I see it on my Facebook feed like people are like I don't know what to do I can't afford my weekly shop I can't afford my my electricity bills have gone through the roof we're about to experience a drought so they're talking about cutting off the water if it gets any worse and you're going to ration the water supply so it'll only be on for certain parts of the day and you're like God, where, when, what time is this? Are we like 15 yeah, years ago? I came back to England um, about 18 months ago. I was first visit for quite a while. And I was shocked by how expensive everything's got. And I was looking at the prices. like I just could not fathom how people are surviving now. Mm. Well, on the breadline anyway. And I saw the talks of raising energy prices by 50%. In yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah, England isn't the perfect paradise. No. No, it's it's very, very difficult, to, especially when you live in the South. Well, I mean, if you're in the North, the wages are lower, so it does, it's kind of relative. But, yeah, we're not all rich. I get emails from people all the time saying, please, can you help me? I'm poor. Yeah. <laughs> can you help me come to the UK? Can you send me money? I really need it. I'm like, well, I, I, my outgoings are, are bigger than my income right now. You know, I need to worry about how I'm going to manage to keep paying the rent how we how we feed the children you know it's i mean it might look lavish but it's all it's all a a, a play really it's not real going back to your actress days yeah, absolutely but i mean yeah it does go back to the whole charity starts at home the first priority is you and your family and that has to be number one yeah. and we would love to go out and help people i mean i constantly get messages like will you teach me for free and can you teach it's like yeah i'd love to i try to do a little bit of charity work when i can but i cannot affordless this is our career at the same time yeah and on that point like we do provide a lot of free education Mm -hmm. like I you know for me YouTube I've got about 500 plus free lessons that I put out and I put out a new one every week I put daily videos pretty much on TikTok and Instagram I'm Um, yeah amazed how you do this I make 15 seconds English and that's my limit I'm like stressed after doing it it's like okay that, that was enough today and you make these like wonderful, fully edited, beautiful, like hour-long videos. Well, yeah, this is this is why my outgoings are more than my income. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I get people to help me now. Uh-huh. Before before I had kids, and I could before I had kids, I would work until two o'clock in the morning, and I'd have six hours sleep, and I'd get up really early and start work again, and I'd work at the weekends. I didn't have much of a life. I've been that way, a workaholic from from the word go, and. Once I had children and started having to prioritize them and my family, it's difficult. It's difficult when you're that way inclined to step back and prioritize somebody else over your desires to work. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm 40 now as well. And you start thinking, 
I'm getting phone calls about life insurance. You know, you might die in the next 20 years. Oh, God. Okay. Is this where I am now? And you start getting adverts for dentures and you know, these awful things. Um, so I think, okay, I'm, I'm coming to the second or the latter half of my life. I need to start enjoying myself and not working all the time. Um, and so, yeah, you have to you have to start getting people to help you if you want to maintain the same level of output but also you have to work smart so this is a good you know a phrase i hear all the time work smart not hard i work smart and hard um but what i try and do is i get someone to help me kind of organize the content i'm going to make um help me decide what to do um and then i batch film so i now batch film all my short content um and then i'll have a week where i batch film maybe three to four lessons of long content uh, and then I have a filming day every week. So one day is dedicated to filming where I'll produce a lot of content. Um, but sometimes it doesn't work. I didn't release a video last week. I was on holiday and it was just too much. And I haven't put out short content really for the last two weeks because I've been on holiday and I was just like, you know what? I just it's I need so a break. Every now and then just like that little couple of days away from it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, for everybody out there, please, 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 please check out um, Anna's YouTube, TikTok, absolutely everything. Check out her courses. She is absolutely superb. Like I said, I am the biggest fan of you as well. <laughs> um, you're absolutely fantastic. So please, please, everybody go and check it out. Um, it will really, really benefit your English. Thank you. And yeah, support everyone as much as you possibly can. Yeah. Um, right. I think I've taken up enough of your time. Um, I'm sure your kids will want to go and see you again. Well, uh, I think I think what I'm going to do this afternoon, Lance, is go to the pharmacy and get some lateral flow tests to see if I've got COVID. <laughs> so um, hopefully not. Um, all okay and everything's perfect and happy. Um, thank you so much for coming. Um, well, thank you for having me. To talk to you. And hopefully I'll speak to you in the future. Absolutely. Now, take care. Bye bye. Bye.